Are you interested in learning more about owning your own portfolio cash flowing rentals? If so, we invite you to take our free mini course, the Crash Course in Cash Flowing Rentals. When you take our mini course, you'll learn the strategies we use to build our portfolio. You'll also get to see several of our students featured who have successfully built their own portfolios as well. To take our crash course, link to semiretiredmd.com forward slash mini course, M-I-N-I dash C-O-U-R-S-E, or visit our website at semiretiredmd.com and link to the crash course on cash flowing rentals there. You may also want to join a waitlist for our introductory course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals, while you're at our website, too. We'll see you there. This episode is sponsored by our brand new course called Fast Fire Bookkeeping for Real Estate Investors. Do you have a pile of receipts and a bunch of statements that are stacking up in your office and the pile isn't getting any smaller? Are your rental properties getting you closer to financial freedom? Do you even know how your properties are performing? Well, the answer to your problem is doing your books the right way, and that's what our course is about. We'll teach you how to set up your books the right way, not just for tax time, but also so you can unlock the insights that will help you maximize your cash flow. For more information or to sign up, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash fastfirebookkeeping. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. Today, Kenji and I are really excited because we're going to be talking about single families versus small multifamilies versus large multifamilies. And this discussion really comes out of so many people in the real estate investing space being out there saying, you know, single families are the only right way to invest. And other people being like, oh, big multifamily, you know, like 60 units are the only way to go. And Kenji and I have now invested in actually the full range from single family to lots of duplexes and fourplexes. Our biggest property is now a 32 unit together. And so we've seen that whole range and we think there's upsides and downsides to both, to all of them. And that, you know, just thinking that only one is the right choice is a little bit constricting, really. So we wanted to help you guys think through the upsides and downsides so you can decide, you know, which is the right fit for you and what range you want in your portfolio. And you might walk out of here and say, you know what? I love single family. That's all I want. Or you might walk out of here like we do and have a range of all three in your portfolio, but know that there's strengths and weaknesses of each group. Yeah. And I think that for many of us, it's really easy to think about the upsides, mm-hmm. but for a lot of us, it's actually hard to think about the downsides. And this really comes from learning from the real rich dad, Keith Cunningham, where he talks about second order consequences and thinking about those downsides and whether or not you can live with those downsides. And the way we interpret that is you got to have a backup plan, right? And so in terms of, you know, the small single family homes, uh, small multifamily, large multifamily, we really wanted to kind of talk about it in terms of upsides and downsides so that we can help you kind of decide for yourself, which one is the best choice for you. And it may be a combination like it is for us. Like, so we invest in all three types. Right. 
Now we wanted to talk about like, what is a single family home versus a small multifamily versus large? Now there's no science to this in terms of where you draw your line for small multifamily to large, but we're just going to define it for the sake of this podcast. So you guys uh, were pretty consistent about what we're talking about. So single family home is just one unit per building. Okay. That one we're really familiar with. Small multifamily, we're going to call anything from a duplex, which is two doors under one roof, all the way up to, we're going to say up to 20 units for the sake of this podcast. And then we're going to call large multifamily 20 units and above. Okay. Yeah. And that cutoff, uh, as Leiti was saying, is a bit arbitrary. Some could say small multifamily is two to four units because that's where your loan terms change. When you get above that four units into the five units and above, you now have to start looking at commercial loans as opposed to residential, conventional residential loans, which are backed by Fannie and Freddie. And so uh, that's oftentimes where people cut off the small multifamily versus the larger, but we're going to use that 20 uh, as our cutoff. For the sake of this podcast. That's right. And then lastly, I just want to talk about return, because I think this is another really important point that, that needs to be the foundation of this discussion which is ultimately the first choice comes down to the cash and cash return. And if you're looking at a single family and versus a fourplex and they have equal cash and cash return, that's what we're talking about here. Like what are the upsides and downsides? I would never say like go buy a single family that has a cash and cash return of like 2% versus a, mul- a small multifamily that has a cash and cash return of 15% and choose the single family instead. So for us, the basis always starts with the cash and cash return. And this is all assuming that your cash and cash return is equivalent across all the groups. Right. Okay. So let's talk about single family homes. Okay. So we'll start with talking a little bit about the upsides. So we've owned a number of single family homes now. I think we have two left in our portfolio. And one of the things we've noticed about single family homes is there's a really great opportunity for market appreciation. And this is appreciation that you have no relation to as the owner. It just happens because the neighborhood gets hot or, you know, the school district gets great or whatever happens and suddenly, or the economy's great, suddenly all the value of the houses in your neighborhood go up. We've had this happen with a number of properties over in Spokane, like little single family homes that we bought for 150, 160,000 that within two years went up to 240, 250,000. And yes, we forced a little appreciation. I'll talk about that. But a lot of it was just market appreciation. We had no control. That's true. Yeah. I I do think that that can be a double-edged sword, right? That can also be a downside because since you don't have control over that market appreciation, it could be that your property value drops. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've had that situation myself where the property just stagnated for years and years and years. And I was hoping for market appreciation and it just never came. And and it really, you know, sucks, especially if you're in a negative cash flow situation. It really sucks to have to have that property just languish. Uh, that's kind of how I think about these properties. They just languish. And so, you know, again, we we like to control our appreciation. And therefore, again, that I would I would say that would be one of the downsides for me of a single family home. Yeah. And likewise, very related to this is with a single family home, you could make an improvement, right? That may actually force appreciation, may add value to the property, especially if it's improvement in like a kitchen or a bathroom or something like that. But it's not a like predictable, reliable way to force appreciation as much as it is with multifamily. And the reason is because when you're selling, you're selling to an emotional buyer who probably isn't an investor. They're not saying, 
oh my goodness, this property is renting for $1,500 a month. This property is renting for $1,350 a month. This house is worth more. No, they're saying to themselves, I want to live in this house. This is my house. This is what I'm willing to pay for it and may have nothing to do with how much you've upgraded or how much you've rehabbed that property. Yeah. And so let's talk about some more kind of upsides of a single family home. Uh, I think uh, one of the upsides for me of a single family rental is that typically they're going to pay all the utilities, right? And that's going to lower your costs. And that's great because then you're going to, you know, you get rental income. And one of the big expenses for a lot of these multifamily properties is utilities. And so therefore it's really nice to not have to worry about utilities and, and also landscaping would be, mm-hmm. I would consider that kind of put that under the bucket of, of utilities. Uh, that's also something that they're going to take care of snow removal, landscaping. And then I think the last really big upside of a single family home is, is maybe the tenant quality and like how long they're going to stay with you. You know, I think that if somebody's renting an apartment for 500 a month versus renting a house for a thousand, like they may show up differently and treat it differently. And then just, again, they're responsible for all those utilities and the landscaping, they treat it more like their home. So I think there's something to be said that potentially you're going to get a better tenant who stays with you longer, takes better care of your property in a single family home. Yeah. But then let's talk about some of the downsides, right? So, you know, the problem with a single family is, is that it's just one unit. And Mm -hmm. so if you have a vacancy and who knows how long that vacancy is going to be, but if you have a prolonged vacancy, then, you know, you're not getting any rental income at all. Right. Whereas if you have a multifamily, right. And let's say even 50% of the units are vacant, at least you're getting revenue from the other 50%, right? And so, uh, you know, again, that's one of the downsides, especially if you have a a larger portfolio, uh, you know, you could potentially have a situation where, you know, you have a lot of vacancy. Yeah. And I think that's part of why we like to have some single family in our portfolio, Mm -hmm. but we personally would never have a portfolio of only single family is that risk of vacancy and then the concern for market downturns and the inability to really force appreciation reliably. Mm -hmm. So I think that drives us into the small multifamily, which is really how we really started out and what we truly love. And so let's talk about some of the upsides of small multifamily. Yeah. What I what I really love about uh, multifamily, and it's not really an emotional thing, right? I, what I love is I love the fact that I think you can, on a percentage basis, you can really make a lot more money with small multifamily than you can with single family and even large uh, multifamily. I'm talking about a percentage basis, right? Factoring the fact that it's you know you're you're going to be spending less for a small multifamily than a really large multifamily, uh, and the reason is is that I think there are a lot more uh, mom and pop operators uh, in the two to four units. And therefore, they're not professional investors. They don't really know what they're doing. They don't maintain their properties. They're not raising the rents consistently like an investor would. They're not trying to reduce expenses like an investor would. So they're not really running these mini businesses very profitably. Mm -hmm. And I think that presents an opportunity. Uh, And also a lot of these mom and pop operators will get into trouble, financial trouble. There may be, uh, let's say a death in the family, and then all these heirs inherit it and they don't know what to do with it. They don't want to run a mini business. So they want to get rid of it. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities, also a lot of inventory in that two to four unit. You know, there's a lot of product out there compared to the larger multifamily, you know, in a relative sense, just not as much larger multifamily compared to the two to four units. So I think that's where the opportunity is. That's why there's 
there's an opportunity to, to really pick up one of these properties at a discount. Yeah. And you were just talking about picking up at a discount and also running it better than the previous operator. I think there's also this space that people who think they're investors are actually emotional and they'll pay more than the property is worth. And we've had this happen to us a lot, actually, where we go and we just sort of like put out our duplex at a ridiculous price, like something we would never buy it at and have multiple offers. And so there's this sense of people that they're investors, but they're not running the numbers. And so you as a seller have the potential to have an emotional buyer as a, in trying to get into your duplex. So you get that benefit from single family homes really that they have as well. And especially if the person's going to live in the property themselves, like house hack, sometimes people are willing to pay more and overpay for that property just because they want to live there too. Mm -hmm. So I love that about small multifamily. Yeah. And so, you know, you're kind of talking about there's some market forces kind mm -hmm. of controlling the price, but there's also that forced appreciation uh, that, that, that we're going to really talk a lot more about in the larger multifamily. But you know that uh, if you can increase the income of the property or decrease expenses, you're increasing the net operating income. And that means that you're increasing the value of that property. And when an appraiser looks at a small multifamily, you know, they have a choice between using kind of the market method, which is looking at different comps in the neighborhood, they can also look at the income method, see how much income that property produces, or they can use something called the cost method. And so you have basically, unlike, unlike the single family home, which is driven by the market method, with the uh, small multifamily, you're going to get some of that income method as well, and sometimes primarily income method. So that's what's really cool is that you get some market forces, you get some income method, and therefore the combination, you can kind of get a really nice appraisal for your property, some of which you can control. And, and sometimes actually you can control directly uh, if the appraiser uses that income method. So I really like that about uh, small multifamily. But the downside compared to really large multifamily mm. is it's not as reliable that your appraiser is really going to lean on the income method. Right. So with large multifamily, when we talk about it, we'll talk about one of the upsides, which is being able to force appreciation predictably, and you can pre-calculate how much value you're going to add to the property. You could do that with duplexes, fourplexes as well. But there is that fudge factor that if, if the appraiser chooses to bring in market value too, that it may be not as high as you would have initially predicted. Yeah. The other thing I love about small multifamily compared to single family home is there's more efficiency. And that's again, because, you know, you have only one roof for two units and so one foundation. So there is more efficiency. You get lower cost per unit in general. So you can grow your portfolio faster with more doors than if you're just buying single family homes in general. Yeah. This week's podcast is sponsored by our course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals. Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals is a 10-week online course focused on helping physicians and high-income earners go from knowing little to nothing about real estate investing to confidently buying the cashflowing rentals that will allow them to achieve financial freedom and work in medicine or their day jobs on their own terms. Our course is only open to registration twice a year, so be sure to get on the waitlist at semiretiredmd.com and check out the course details on our course landing page. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Caliber Home Loans. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. Now, we've been working with Dan and his team for over five years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal 
or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close a deal. Now, I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or a vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at semiretiredmd at caliberhomeloans.com to get a free consultation. Well, let's talk about some of the downsides, maybe. I think one of the downsides of a small multifamily is the fact that oftentimes uh, some of the utilities aren't split up. And oftentimes like water and sewer, for example, won't be split up by tenant. And so therefore the owner has to pay for that. And now you, you can bill back, right? And that's something that uh, I think it's a really uh, a huge opportunity for increasing the income of these properties. But uh, typically when you're buying these uh, properties, you'll find that the owner's Kind of paying for that as opposed to the tenants paying for it. Uh, so unlike the single family home where the tenants paying for all of the different utilities with the du- small duplex or fourplex, uh, what you'll find often is that the owner's paying for it. Uh, and same with the landscaping and the snow removal, oftentimes the la- uh, owner is paying for that. Now we talked about vacancy being an upside compared to single family homes, mm-hmm. but vacancy is a downside compared to large multifamily. Because if you have a large multifamily, like a 20 unit and you're, you have one vacancy, it's not a big deal. If you have a duplex and you have one vacancy, now half your income is decreased. So it's definitely better than a single family home, but it's not as good as a large multifamily. The other thing I think we should talk about is depreciation. And so depreciation is the government sees your property as losing value every year, even though it's probably gaining. And the amount you get to take in bonus depreciation, which is basically a phantom loss. So it's a loss that shows up on your tax return, but isn't real is going to vary by the size of the property to some extent. And so usually the greater efficiency in getting bonus depreciation, greater percentage of the value of the property in bonus depreciation is better for the larger properties. So your fourplex is going to do better than your single family home. But then in comparison, a 30 unit, you know, your percentage of bonus depreciation probably going to be higher than your four unit. And so again, this is both an upside and a downside of small multifamily. Yeah, agree. Depreciation is a really uh, great tax uh, saving tool. And uh, as Leite was saying, you know, as you have more units, you have more things that can be depreciated and therefore you're going to get a larger depreciation expense that can that you can use to shelter income if you have a status called real estate professional status. And then lastly, the potential downside, I want to introduce neighborhood. Um, in a single family home, if you have a single family home in a neighborhood where every, you know 90% of people are owners and they're taking really great care of their property, it's going to be great for you as the property owner. But in some cases in small multifamily, it's like a whole neighborhood of small multifamily. And if you're buying in that situation and your neighbor landlords are slumlords and don't take care of your property, all of a sudden the whole neighborhood goes downhill and that could affect you. And so that's part of why we try to buy our duplexes and fourplexes and small multifamily in neighborhoods of single family homes, if we can, rather than neighborhoods of all small multifamily. Yeah. And then you can kind of see how we're talking about the downsides and then what's our backup plan, right? So, okay. So for the small multifamily, sure, the utilities uh, might be in the name of the owner and the owner typically pays, but what we do is we bill back, right? And so uh, just as a you know another example, it's like we, we try to think about the backup plan and come up with a backup plan and mitigate that. Uh, and instead of just kind of saying, well, that's a downside, we just have to live with it. Mm-hmm. We try to figure out a backup plan to mitigate it. Awesome. Okay. Let's go into the larger multifamily. All right. So what's your number one most positive thing upside? 
Yeah, I think the number one is uh, forced appreciation. Uh, there's no question. I think that that is, uh, you know, forced appreciation is one of the one of the main ways that you can build wealth with rental properties. With a larger multifamily, we're seeing that you can reliably and predictably increase the value of the property if you increase the net operating income, right? If you increase the income, if you decrease the expenses. You know, you're not. You're not only is your value going to go up, your cash flow is also going to go up uh, very predictably and reliably. And so that's one of the things I really love about it is that, you know, uh, rather than kind of going going back to single family and kind of count, you know, betting on market appreciation, hoping that the value is going to go up, I'm not sitting around hoping that the value is going to go up with a large multifamily when I know, you know, when it, when I know that if I increase the income. You know, there's going to be an investor who's going to be willing to pay me for that higher income. Yeah. And also one of the benefits is even if you increase the income per unit, just like $25 or $50, mm-hmm. when you go and have 50 units or 100 units, that amount of money is really significant, forces a ton of appreciation. And then also remember, there's increased efficiency in these large multifamilies, right? One roof for 30 units is a big difference in terms of maintenance costs and, and cost over time compared to, you know, having 30 single family homes and the cost of maintaining all of those roofs. Yeah. And I also think that there's uh, a lot of opportunity and not to say that there aren't opportunities for two to four units, but there may be more kind of variety in terms of opportunities for increasing income, right? And so one of the, uh, i just give you a few examples for the larger multifamily having a designated parking space, right? I mean, most people for a two to four unit, their parking space is going to be right in front of their unit probably. But for a big property with a big parking lot, having a designated space may actually be really valuable for that person who doesn't want to have to walk all the way, you know, in the hail, rain and snow, you know, uh, they may want to be close by. And that kind of brings me to covered parking, right, would be another opportunity. Some people may just want to have their cars covered in an area where there's hail or snow or, you know, the, the elements, you know, and they want to just kind of keep it covered. And so that would be another opportunity. Now, again, doesn't mean that that's not available for two to four units, but it's just a lot more more common for these larger complexes to have these covered units that you can charge for. So again, that would be a couple examples there. And we've already talked about the lower risk of vacancy. And we've also already talked about the improved tax savings with bonus depreciation. Mm-hmm. So I'm just mentioning those again as upsides. For sure. Yeah. And that that is a, a huge benefit. And again, it's a scale thing, right? It's You're not talking about 50,000 or 100,000 bonus depreciation. If you get a larger property, you're talking about could be in the millions that you're going to be creating in terms of expenses that you can then use to shelter income if you have real estate professional status. Yeah. And so then let's talk about some of the downsides. So number one, I think is potentially the the tenants, right? Mm -hmm. And the turnover and potentially just not having as much stability in the community. And so part of that also with risk mitigation is making sure your building community, making sure you're getting really great tenants who are going to stay with you long periods of time. But it's it may be a different tenant base that you attract in a 50 unit compared to somebody who wants a single family home. Yeah, there are a lot more community issues like security, mm-hmm. cleanliness of the common areas that you really have to think about 
creating gathering spaces, right? Some of those things are really important for people and you want to make sure it doesn't head in the wrong direction in terms of, you know, having the wrong community. You want to have the right community, ideally, you know, promoting, safe. you know, safe and fa family oriented. Those types of things are, are big considerations and also does add to the, you know, investment that you're going to have to make, which brings me to that next downside, which is, you know, it's just a lot more capital mm -hmm. intensive to buy these bigger properties. So that's why a lot of people will syndicate deals where they pool money together with a lot of investors. And there are fewer solo investors who go out and buy their own 100 unit apartment complexes because uh, it, you know, it's very capital intensive, not just for the down payment, but all that capital expenditure to kind of make those improvements on 100 units. That's, that's just a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. And then another thing is, of course, we talked about the benefit of actually like vacancy, but you know, you could also get into a situation where the whole building goes down, like you're talking about. And then all of a sudden you have this ridiculous amount of vacancy and maybe even your neighborhood, which we talked about earlier is all other multifamily that you're competing against. And now the whole neighborhood's going down. So I think that that there's a lot more possibility for kind of vacancy and issues that way too. Right. Yeah, definitely. You got to really watch, a, keep an eye on that community and a couple bad situations in one or two units could have, mm -hmm. could kind of infect or affect other people and, you know, the neighbors and the, and the other people in the community hear about it. They talk about it, right. They talk about it in the laundry room. I mean, you can just kind of see, right. How these things kind of build up and they go, you know, oh, we got to move out of this place. And that just kind of starts to spread. Right. And so that's, that's the potential risk. And so you got to really, really watch out for that. Um, another one I wanted to bring up was billing back utilities. Mm -hmm. Definitely more of a challenge uh, with the larger properties sometimes, um, although we've been able to make that work in all of our bigger properties that we bought. But I know that a lot of times, like Kenji mentioned, the owner will actually uh, take care of utilities and then they'll take care of a lot of other little things like landscaping, right? Or like outdoor lighting or pest control. And so those little things do start to add up um, and eat into your cash and cash. So you have to watch that very, very closely when you're looking at a larger multifamily. Finally, I wanted to say when you're buying a large multifamily, you're dealing with professional investors. Right, okay. That's and that's true. a really big deal because they're looking at the numbers and they're looking at this as a business and a purchase that like has to make sense. Again, we mentioned with single family homes and with small multifamily, a lot of time you have people who are emotional, you know, they want to live there or they just don't know, really know what they're doing and they're going to overpay. But if you're dealing with professional investors, like they're going to be a lot less likely to overpay. Now, you still have mom and pop, large multifamily investors who do a terrible job, run the property into the ground, and you can buy it at a great discount. So that still exists, but I think it's percentagely less you know, than the small multifamily. For sure. Yeah. I, again, just think about fewer, in, uh, there's fewer properties in that kind of uh, you know, the large multifamily, uh, and then you have more professional investors, you know, going after a smaller number of properties. So yeah, you're definitely going to have a lot more of that kind of competition, but, but yeah, but it doesn't mean that that opportunity is not out there. Uh, you know, we've been, you know, fortunate to find some properties ourselves. Yeah. And I think that was something that kept us from going into large multifamily from a lot for a long time was concentration risk, actually thinking like mm. if we put all of our money into one thirty unit, right. Versus buying, you know, 
five or 10 or 15 duplexes, like, Ooh, what happens if that one thirty unit has issues and our, you know, what are the odds that 10 of our duplexers are going to have issues all at one time? So I think that that also you can mitigate by multi buying multi 30 units, but your capital is going to be more intensive to come up with that kind of mm-hmm. cash. And so always in real estate, whether it's with single family homes, small multifamily or large, when you own only own one property or two properties, your concentration risk is higher at that point in your portfolio growth. So if you can get to the point in your portfolio that you have 10 or 15 properties, now you've lowered your concentration risk. And again, if one property is a bad month, it's not going to you know hugely affect your personal finances because you have so many other properties to kind of weigh things out. And I think that's part of why we you know have a whole range from single family homes to our 32 unit at this point is we like to have multiple properties and to have that diversification. Well, we've actually even diversified outside of, you know, these kind of long-term rentals. We have a short-term rental, Mm -hmm. right? We have an office space and we also rent to people with intellectual disabilities. So we have a kind of a state sponsored program and and we also have some section eight as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we've kind of diversified in a lot of different ways. Uh, And I know that people talk about diversification in terms of real estate, and stocks and bonds, but even within real estate, there's so many great ways to diversify, uh, not just you know size, which was a lot of what we've been talking about, number of units, uh, but also you know going out and getting different types of tenants. Uh, that's the supported living and short-term rentals, uh, and and it's a really kind of great way to uh, you know lower that risk and mitigate that risk. Yeah, good point. We definitely need to do another podcast later on about diversification. Well, thanks for joining us today. Hopefully you guys learned a lot about why we like single family versus small multifamily versus large multifamily and can see that there's upsides and downsides of every single class of properties. And hopefully this will help you think through what properties you want in your portfolio going forward. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.